Kevin Knappen here on Gun Lawyer. And I want to talk to you today about some emails that I've received from listeners. And they raised some interesting questions and issues that I want to discuss. And a matter of fact, the first one here comes from Michael. Michael has questions regarding New Jersey firearms storage map. Want to know, am I aware that the Rutgers Gun Violence Research Center is promoting temporary gun storage outside the home? And this is actually quite interesting because uh, they are doing that very thing. And we need to talk about this. So Rutgers runs this so-called gun violence research center. They always want to tie the word gun to violence, right? It's not a violence research center. It's not a gun research center, but it has to be a gun violence research center that looks at all kinds of things with their anti-gun bend. So immediately you know that this is suspect. And what it's saying here is an effort to promote Voluntary surrender of firearms. Okay, voluntary surrender uh, for a temporary firearm storage. So you go to the website and they could develop a map of community members that uh, are willing, supposedly, to temporarily store firearms. And it is a interactive map, and it lays out uh, who may temporarily store firearms. And they say, if you're traveling out of state and want to keep them secure while they're away, a teenager in the home who's in crisis and a risk of suicide, grandkids are visiting for a week, couple divorcing and arguments are getting heated, family members experiencing mental health or substance abuse, the homeowner is listing the home for sale and wants fires to be secure while showing occurs. So these are all reasons they claim you might want to voluntarily and temporarily store your firearms away from home. If you find that you do need to do this, they then say in the website that firearms can be temporarily stored in many places such as gun shops, shooting ranges, police departments, and special storage facilities. And pawn shops and self-storage units may also provide storage. View the map to find options in your area. Let's talk about this. Specifically, this is Rutgers doing the uh, New Jersey Gun Violence Research Center. So you think they might have maybe a familiarity with New Jersey gun laws just as a starting point. And when it comes to New Jersey gun law, uh, you better be extremely careful if you let firearms out of your possession and temporarily store them anywhere. Because if you store them at a friend's, now granted, they didn't say here a friend's house, but if you do that in Jersey, you're actually breaking the law because the friend needs to have the permits on the transfer. You can't just store your guns with a friend or with a relative. So, and again, it doesn't say to do that, although it kind of gives an impression that maybe that's out there, but it's not specifically in here. But what is specifically in here is storing at gun shops, 
Well, if you store a firearm temporarily at a gun shop and the gun shop takes that firearm in, they actually have to put it in their books. And now that is a uh, firearm that for you to get it back, you're going to have to go through the licensing procedure. You're going to have to get a new permits. You're going to have to go through a whole NICS check and everything if it's booked and they want to do the transfer out. And if you store more than one handgun, then you're going to have to wait 30 days per handgun under Jersey law to get them back unless you apply to get special permission from the state police, which is a whole other application, for the gun shop to even do the paperwork to return firearms that you, quote, temporarily stored. Now, shooting ranges are an interesting option because there's authorized ranges and then there are ranges that aren't, quote, authorized. And when you look at storing firearms at a shooting range, are you a member of the range? Are you within New Jersey's exemptions to be able to possess, no less, your firearm at this shooting range? And in your transport there, did you transport it accordingly to 39.6 that required you, depending on what exemption you're relying on, to go directly to the shooting range? And none of this gets explained. And then, of course, they put the option of a police department. Well, if you surrender guns to the police department, good luck getting them back. Uh, anytime I've had clients that surrendered to a police department for whatever reason, uh, the prosecutor has to be notified, and they're not eager to return anybody's guns, and you end up with a problem. Plus, I might add that there is no exemption in New Jersey that allows you to bring your guns to the police department for temporary storage. It doesn't exist. The only way you can bring guns to the police department under New Jersey law is by voluntarily surrendering them under NJS2C39-12, where you have to give written notice in advance of your intention to do so, and when you turn them in, they are no longer yours. You have surrendered them to the police for them to dispose of and destroy. So New Jersey has no provisions to, A, bring the guns to the police unless you're voluntarily surrendering them, and no less for the police to store them as a favor for you and then return them without licensing, no less. But there it is, putting it out as a potential option. I would highly recommend that nobody utilize that option. Now, they do also say special storage facilities, but that's not elaborated upon. What are special storage facilities? Well, I don't know. They don't say, but I'm assuming they mean something like uh, gun sitters. Now, gun sitters is a bona fide place where firearms can be stored, and it's been approved for firearm storage, and it's a very... Uh, regulated, et cetera, on how it gets done. And that is a bona fide option, going to a place like gun sitters for storing your firearms. It then talks about pawn shops and self-storage. Well, pawn shops aren't even allowed to take guns in pawn, so I don't know where they get off saying that. And then additionally, it's in New Jersey, by the way, you can't. And then self-storage units themselves often 
prohibit firearms and ammunition specifically from being stored in those self-storage units. Uh, now, it does say may also provide, but I'll tell you, normally it just doesn't provide. So I would be very skeptical of any of these um, suggestions and their ramifications, and I would just stick to, if you're going to do this, uh, special storage facilities where their entire focus is to do this very thing, to store firearms accordingly under the supervision that they have under with the state police and all that. They have it all worked out to do it legally and correctly. Because any of these other things, you're asking for potential trouble. You're asking for possibly losing your guns, losing your gun rights, having to get relicensed, just a whole host of issues here. So this is definitely uh, something that you cannot do lightly, and you need to make sure that you're covered by whatever action that you are choosing. Now, they do advise that before taking your firearms to a storage location, you should first ask about the process for storage, any costs, whether you need to complete a background check before getting your firearms back, and any limit on duration that they could be stored there. Now, of course, those are actually uh, legitimate concerns because the process for storage, are they going to be maintained? I tell you, I've seen if you actually brought your guns to the police, I've seen police and their evidence rooms, uh, they're not handled in the best way, and uh, many times uh, the firearms are just piled and stored in a manner that is not some in the way that you would normally want to store your guns that you treasure. Any costs involved? Well, there are costs, particularly for the commercial facilities, and you'd want to find out about those. And the completion of background check for getting your firearms back is absolutely out there, and it's more than that in New Jersey because you need to get all new. For handguns, you're going to need permits again because it's an actual transfer. It's viewed in this manner, and uh, it can be really problematic. And then you're going to go, again, through NICS checks and you know, the whole process and then the delays that come with the NICS checks and the limits on licensing. So it talks about any limits on the duration of firearms that can be stored at the location. Uh, that's also possibly an issue that goes on for so long, but then you may relinquish your rights. Uh, who knows? So these are all kinds of complications that are there. Um, when when bringing your guns to a storage station, it says always a call in advance and arrange a time to bring. Don't bring loaded firearms to a gun shop, a police station, or other safe storage unit. Oh, really? You don't think we should bring loaded firearms to a police station or a gun shop or other safe location? Particularly since in order to transport your firearms in New Jersey, the first rule is your guns have to be unloaded. So if you're transporting your guns to any place and you need to be in conformance with subsection G of the exemptions, the first requirement is your gun be unloaded. Now, of course, there isn't a legitimate way to even go to the police station unless you're doing the voluntary surrender. And, of course, keeping your guns unloaded is logical, but it's also legally required 
So I guess it's pretty obvious don't bring loaded firearms to any of these places. Okay, so don't bring your loaded firearms anywhere. Uh, it needs to always be unloaded. And then it talks about if you leave your firearm in a vehicle while making safe storage arrangements, lock the firearms in a case, store them in a locked compartment so they're not visible from outside. Some locations may provide pickup services. Really, that's interesting. I don't know how the third party ends up handling your firearms to pick them up, but uh, it says you can inquire about that. Then they have reached out to they reached out to the uh, gun shop owners that want to agree to do this for temporary voluntary firearm storage, and unless the shops have it set up in a way similar to gun sitters, uh, you're gonna you know where they've gotten the approvals, et cetera, and have it done in this correct manner. Uh, you may very well have issues getting them returned and temporary will end up not being very temporary at all. So these are important considerations and the question as uh, provided by Michael is greatly appreciated. Listen, folks, when you're seeing these things, you, you can't just believe that what Rutgers Gun Violence Research Center is telling you applies to you in New Jersey or any other jurisdiction where you're living. You, of course, realize there's agendas here and the funding for these things that are coming from people and folks that are not vigorous defenders of the Second Amendment. And uh, these are things that uh, you see pushed and put into a package to show what is, uh, you know, concern and real issues, but the solutions uh, can often become very problematic for you. So beware, and if you have uh, specific uh, gun storage questions, check with an attorney who understands gun law and knows the jurisdiction's laws where you are about what's actually involved in doing it legally and correctly because there's a lot of risk in trying to do this and just basing it off a uh, information on a website is not a good idea. So when we come back, I have another really interesting question regarding trigger modifications. For over 30 years, attorney Evan Knappen has seen what rotten laws do to good people. That's why he's dedicated his life to fighting for the rights of America's gun owners. A fearsome courtroom litigator fighting for rights, justice, and freedom. An unrelenting gun rights spokesman tearing away at anti-gun propaganda to expose the truth. Author of six best-selling books on gun rights, including Knappen on Gun Law. A bright orange gun law Bible that sits atop the desk of virtually every lawyer, police chief, firearms dealer, and savvy gun owner. That's what made Evan Knappen America's gun lawyer. Gun laws are designed to make you a criminal. Don't become the innocent victim of a vicious anti-gun legal system. This is the guy you want on your side. Keep his name and number in your wallet and hope you never have to use it. But if you live, work, or travel with a firearm, the deck is already stacked against you. You can find him on the web at evannappen.com or follow the link on the Gun Lawyer resource page. Evan Knappen, America's Gun Lawyer. 
You're listening to Gun Lawyer with attorney Evan Knappen. Available wherever you get your favorite podcasts. I am a lawyer. I am a lawyer. Hey, welcome back to Gun Lawyer. I'm Evan Knappen, and I really enjoy speaking to all of you and helping to get the word out about guns and gun laws and the issues that can cause us problems and also things that can help us navigate and stay safe without becoming victims of gun laws. You know, they talk here about victims of gun violence, but you don't ever hear them talking about victims of gun laws. And I find that the gun laws create victims. They take law-abiding citizens. They turn law-abiding citizens into criminals. And New Jersey is so harsh with its gun laws, you can face mandatory incarceration, felony conviction, have your life ruined, your career ruined, your hopes and dreams taken away. I don't see any website from Rutgers on that issue and how to not become a victim of gun laws, but uh, that's why we're here with Gun Lawyer, and please tell your friends to listen and subscribe. Uh, It's very important. This is our voice as the social media and the big tech shuts us down and hits us with algorithms and shadow bans and everything else they can. Here is a source to get straight information about what's near and dear to us, our Second Amendment rights. So, Here's a letter, and it's an email from Sebastian. And Sebastian says, regarding trigger modifications, what are some defining modifications of a trigger and its weight of pull that could lead to a conviction of intent or manslaughter in a self-defense case? Thank you for your time. Love our podcast. Okay, Sebastian. And that is an interesting question, but it's flowing, I guess, in a way to civil liability for firearm modifications and also potential criminal ramifications depending on what modifications are done. So when we're talking about a firearm being modified from its original and you're in a lawsuit or civil action over the firing of your gun where somebody was injured from it, even if you were righteous, 100% righteous and legit in the use of deadly force, the other side may try to make something out of your firearm. They may try to make out something based on modifications that have been done to make it more prone to firing or shooting or discharging. And this liability, you see, has been expressed even in terms of uh, with New York, you know, so-called New York trigger on Glocks, where they put a heavier trigger to avoid the potential for accidental discharge, supposedly, and or to make it clear of the deliberation that is required in the firing of a gun. For the most part, if your firearm is factory, and it is factory spec, then the issues of the modification aren't there. But once you start modifying it, and if the other side picks up on it, 
then they could try to make these arguments uh, civilly that your gun was um, dangerous or created a situation where there could be negligence, et cetera, to pursue their civil charges. On criminal, uh, I guess it's in theory possible. I haven't seen the uh, seen that so much in my practice, but uh, if it's something they could allege that it created a reckless or an endangering situation, I guess a prosecutor could try to push that on a criminal side. But I haven't really encountered much on the criminal side. Uh, but if you're charged because you're sh- you've shot somebody or used deadly force. Then in your effort to make the case on the self-defense or the justification for your use of force, maybe the state will try to somehow imply or show that because of whatever modifications you did, that this was something that was uh, either intentional or not within the guidelines and the law for use of force. So it could be possible. But I'll tell you it's something that I have seen that does make a difference, and that is you shouldn't have firearms that are aggressively named. So, you know, if you are defending your home and you have the Death Slayer 2000, and that ends up getting in front of a jury, you know, when you're trying to say how reasonable you were in the use of force, it can make paint a bad uh, a picture of that. So you don't really want to have any of those names that are cool and modifications to your gun that in terms of symbols and things that the jury could be uh, forced to think about and try to extrapolate whatever attitude you may have had by having these things on your firearm you know there are some famous cases out there individual had like a biblical saying on the uh on the uh inside of the uh ar and such and there are folks that have uh, the macho names on it and there are guns even from manufacturers that use these names because they're sexy to sell the guns but it's not a good idea in terms of minimizing your potential liability or the other side trying to present you as some kind of nut or extremist, etc. And I remember very well, way back in law school, I had a great professor who I loved, and his name was Professor Shapiro. And Don Shapiro was just one of our favorite teachers, and he taught torts. And I'm talking about the other guys that I and gals that I went to law school with and he was definitely a favorite and he told us a story about how he ended up getting a German a a, a German shepherd that was uh like a twenty thousand dollar dog trained on hand signals and German commands and it was just an unbelievably great uh trained self-defense dog that he had and I forgot how he ended up getting this dog. But the one thing I do remember quite clearly is the torts professor with this dog specifically named his dog Bambi. That's right. He named this 
incredible killer German Shepherd, Bambi. And we're like, what? Bambi? He said, yeah. Because if the dog ever had to use its training to bite somebody and do whatever the dog has had to do, and a lawsuit filed, he wanted the other side, and he wanted to be able to, you know, Bambi bit, you know, Bambi did this, Bambi. And he figured that's just the greatest through the papers with the person, you know, complaining about Bambi. And I'm like, that is great. So his, his, uh, he was, he knew what he was doing, I guess. Great idea there. So if you have a super fantastic, uh, dog that is just trained and, uh, really just, top of the line where you're afraid that might try to be used civilly against you. Good name like Bambi or, you know, Hello Kitty or whatever these things, you know, Teddy Bear. These are things that might make a difference. And the same idea applies when talking about names that are on your firearms. Because the prosecutor will be waving that around and calling it by whatever name you put on it and just hammering it to the jury over and over if it helps make their case. So don't give them the ability to do that. The other thing folks wonder, you know, what about use of like hollow nose bullets or that kind of thing? Well, you know, with expert testimony and such, we can show hollow nose is actually a, a safer round, particularly in a home because of fear of overpenetration, and that's the things that, you know, your good attorney can do in the showing of, uh, of what's necessary on what you may have used to defend yourself, particularly rounds like that. Uh, they'll, you know, the, the, the gun law itself, when you look at it, is full of pejoratives. The antis have taken the gun laws and just load it with pejoratives. I mean, you know, even looking at what we talked about, you know, the gun violence, it's always got to be gun violence, right? And But even worse, when you look at the statutory definitions, they literally call in New Jersey and other places a group of firearms that have arbitrarily been picked assault firearms. They're called assault firearms. Now, the truth is, they're not really assault firearms, at least as far as what Sturmgewehr, right, the original assault rifle, the Sturmgewehr, that gun was select fire. So it fired fully automatic and semi-automatic, and, and that was what the true term meant way back. But now they take a term and they call it assault firearm, and then they make a definition that's so broad and sweeping that it ends up bringing in, you know, Ruger 1022s and uh, firearms that are strictly and traditionally have always been sporting firearms. And not that there's any problem with having a tactical firearm, but the term is there to inflame. And it is then made into the term of the law itself, so that we then have to call these guns, if they're so defined, as assault firearms, even though that's not what the original meaning of the word and those words ever were. And you see this over and over again. You know, you see it. You know, what is a large capacity magazine? 
Okay, that's an actual legal term in Jersey. But really what you're talking about is a standard capacity magazine because that's what the gun came with, standard. Oh, no, no, we make it large, and then we pick an arbitrary number that in New Jersey went from 15 to 10 rounds under Murphy, and yet it's still the same large capacity magazine. It was large when it was over 15. It's large when it's over 10. It doesn't change. You know, that just that's what is large capacity magazine. Oh, here's a good, you know, ghost guns. You know, this is the, the terms that they use. See, well, these words are important. They put these words out there, you know, and and sometimes they're turned into the statutory terms they're not, that are actually the legally defined term, and they use these pejorative words. Other times, uh, it's just used in the general arguments made by the other side. And we try not to use the words of our adversary when we can, because words are important and they rise with emotion. You know, try not to call it a gun. Try to call it a firearm. Don't call it a weapon. And I find that many my clients that have military background, they call it a weapon because they're trained to call it a weapon. But if you're arguing about it in terms of your innocence and possession and lawful use and all that, you're way better off that you possessed a firearm, you see. So these are important distinctions, and words are critical here when you do that. So keep that in mind as you discuss what you have and when you talk about firearms with others. See, I even called it firearms then and not guns, although guns is, a, is still an okay term, but uh, this is what we see. The, uh, the difference is, is basically you have a pejorative, which is the negative part of it, then you have euphemism, which is making it better than it sounds. And then you have neutral. Again, going back to law school, I had another professor in, in uh, who taught uh, Professor Silverman, great professor at New York Law. And one of the things he, I remember him illustrating, he says, you know the difference between a pejorative, a euphemism, and neutral? And this is what he said. Now, today, of course, it's extremely sexist, but it still made the point. He said he said that 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 horses sweat, men perspire, and women glow, and that was what he said. So there you see you see the you know, sweat as the pejorative, perspire as the neutral, and glow as the euphemism, and yet these word games get played all the time in our battle arguing for our rights and even in the courts itself. All right, folks, this is Evan Knappen reminding you that gun laws do not protect honest citizens from criminals. They protect criminals from honest citizens. Gun Lawyer is a Counterthink Media production. The music used in this broadcast was managed by Cosmo Music, New York, New York. Reach us by emailing evan at gun.lawyer. The information and opinions in this broadcast do not constitute legal advice. Consult a licensed attorney in your state.